Good morning, everybody. Everyone having a good start to the week, enjoying that spring is here and upon us. I know we do have some visitors amongst us, uh, so if you, weren't, if you weren't able to partake of the Lord's Supper, we don't pass the trays right now, just like we don't pass the contribution ever since like, COVID. We've been having the, the contribution back at certain baskets are in the back. Uh, if you weren't able to have the Lord's Supper, let us know. We'll be able to have that afterwards with you uh, for all those who are visiting. If you are visiting, please fill out a card. And uh, so we have a record of your attendance. We can reach out to you and uh, get to know you and, and just ask if there's any questions that you may have. As I think about today's lesson, and I think about uh, the, the, on the screen behind me, is there a God? That's going to be the, really the lesson for today. It's geared toward our, our junior high and our high school age kids. So wake up. I know you're probably up gaming last night. and You're probably a little sleepy, you know, this Sunday morning. But let's wake up because we're going to look to dive into the scriptures and ask ourselves, is there a God? Can I know that there's a God? Why is that an important lesson? Why do we ask that question? Well, because of what's being taught in the school systems, what's being taught in society. We're moving further and further away from God. We now live in a post-Christian society. What does that mean to live in a post-Christian society? It means that God's law, his word, no longer holds a prominent place amongst the world, amongst the, uh, the communities in which we live, uh, amongst our school boards. And so we need to ask the question, is there a God? And then this lesson will follow into next week's lesson, which is on Easter. And it's not an Easter lesson, but we're going to look at the idea, is there a resurrection? If there's a God, was there a resurrection? And we're going to look at the proofs for the resurrection. So these next couple of weeks will be geared towards helping to strengthen uh, our belief for all of us who are already Christians, and then helping our children, our sons and daughters, to fully understand that you can know that there is a God. There is proof, there is evidence to show that there's a God. And we're going to look at that starting here this morning. When it comes to the existence of God, Scripture doesn't uh, ask if there's a God. Scripture assumes that you know that God's existence is crystal clear. And it's all by the evidence that we have, not just within the Scriptures, but the evidence that is outside of the Scriptures. When I think about uh, some of the passages of Scriptures that we'll look at here this morning, you can follow along in your Bibles, but I'll also have the few passages that we're going to look at on the screen behind me. And the first one is Psalm 19 and 1. It says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their, ex their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. What does it mean, the work of his hands? Well, Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created. Well, either he did or he didn't. And so, why are we going to look at this this morning? Because there's either a God and there, or there isn't. And if there's not a God, then that is going to drastically change how we live our lives. That is going to drastically change how we think and the entertainment choices and how we treat our wives and how our, our wives treat our husbands and how we raise our children. This really does affect every aspect of society. This simple question, is there a God? And we're going to look at what the scriptures have to say along with some other things that are uh, evidences that we have uh, through uh, years of scientific research. And we're going to look at that and see how they marry up and how they can marry up together. We look at the next passage of scripture in uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, and it says, For since the creation of the world, his, meaning God, invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they, meaning humankind, his creation is without excuse. 
So you look at those couple passages of scripture, I want us to think about the complexities of the human body. I mean, when we think about the question, is there a God, how often do you think about the idea of just how complex uh, the human body is? How complex uh, all of the various animals are that God had designed them in such a way that they could not just only survive, but thrive in nature. And I think about Psalm 139 and verse 14 and where it tells us, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What does that really mean? How can I look at science? How can I look at the human body and then kind of marry up what science has to say and what we know through scientific research to what some of these verses have to say? Did you know that the human brain is able to process more than a million messages per second? That's pretty amazing. It's more sophisticated than any computer that we have been able to uh, engineer. Uh, through research and engineering. So the human brain is able to process over a million messages per second. It also gives us the ability to reason. It gives us the ability to, to, to plan and to dream and to take action and to relate to others and to show emotions. And so evolution, though, says that everything is the result of just mindless and random chance and that we're basically just evolved animals. And we're going to get more into that as we get further into the lesson. But I want you to think about the complexities of the human body. You think about the human eye. You think about the human brain. And far, both the human eye and brain are far more sophisticated than any camera and any computer that we have on this planet. That we have taken years of, of engineering and have put together. The brain and the eye is more sophisticated than any of them. I just said a, a moment ago that the brain can distinguish uh, between a million different messages a second. It can, the brain and the eye working together can, uh, can see seven million uh, colors. There's auto-focusing that, that, that rival any camera, that, that, that super exceed any camera that we've ever developed. And so you think about that. You think about the idea of just how the brain and how the eyes function and, the, and just how uh, really truly magnificent they are. And then you think about the universe. You think about the universe and that it exists and what caused it. And just so you know, when we go through each of these different areas, there's lots of things that we could give you, but for time's sake and for expedience's sake, we can't discuss all of them. But when you look at the, the, the complexities of the human body, when you look at the idea that we have a universe, that the universe exists, well, what caused it? Well, years of scientific discovery have set the stage to acknowledge God's existence. Because science has discovered a truth that God had revealed to us a very long time ago. That matter is not eternal. And that matters. I look at this next passage of scripture on the screen behind me in Hebrews chapter uh, 1 and verse 10, and 10 through 12. And it says, And you, Lord, in the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will, all, uh, they will all become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. So when we think about the existence of the universe, we think about what caused it. Where did the universe, when did the universe originate? Can something come from nothing? I want you to ponder this thought that has been, uh, has been proven to be, uh, to be distrue. That matter, we know that they, they think, they used to think that matter was eternal, but we now know that matter is not eternal. If there had ever been a time when nothing existed, then there would still be nothing now because you can't get something from nothing. So in view of that simple scientific fact, 
in view of that something now exists, it must then logically follow that something existed before that which exists. Make sense? You can't get nothing, for, you can't get something from nothing. And so with that said, we only have two choices. The first choice is either everything miraculously came from nothing, which is basically is a scientific theory that was called spontaneous generation, but we already know that spontaneous generation had already been disproven. So the only other option would be that God miraculously created everything. What does it say in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1? In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. So which miracle is most likely? Spontaneous generation that's already been disproven or the fact that God created? An infinite, uh, powerful, all-knowing God created the heavens and the earth like a few of the passages that I showed you here this morning. Has matter existed forever or has immaterial intelligence existed for adder, uh, for, uh, for, for, forever? So matter creating matter, we already know, is illogical. It's unscientific. And this is also proven in the, in the sense that whenever you think about science, they're always constantly dating something. Well, if they're dating something and they're, they're attributing an age to something, what does that tell you? Logically speaking, it had a beginning. If it has an age, it had a beginning. And if it had a beginning or a starting point, that proves that matter is not eternal. So nothing can't come from nothing, so something had to exist before whatever we have now. You look at the universe, you look at the solar system, you look at the planets. Brothers and sisters, the universe that exists is either made from a mind, meaning intelligence, or it came from matter. Well, we already know that it has not come from matter. It's already dis been disproven. So you look at the only reasonable and scientific conclusion, and an honest mind can reach that an omniscient and an omnipotent, meaning all-knowing, all-powerful God, had created what we see today. I think about Job. When Job was suffering, and you know the story of Job, and everything was taken from him, and he started, to, he started to question God on things. And God comes down to him, and he says, I'll play this game with you for a little bit. And in Job chapter 38 and verse 33, God said, Do you know the ordinances of the heaven, or do the ordinances that, that fix the rule over the earth? You know, when we think about life, how many times do we think of there's so much in life that just seems to be uncertain? But yet, what we don't think about is how much in life truly is certain that we could count on day in and day out. For example, there are things that remain the same day in and day out, month after month, year after year, century after century. And what are those things? Gravity. Gravity remains constant, does it not? Mathematical equations remain constant. The fact that a hot cup of coffee if left on a counter is going to cool off. It's going to happen. The earth is going to rotate in 24 hours. You think about the speed of light and that it remains the same. While life, there are many uncertain things in this life, we also know that there are many certain things in this life. In other words, how do you explain the existence of so many unchanging laws in nature? Where did these laws come from? If it's, if it's a matter of the Big Bang and the explosion, and that everything just happened to, by dumb luck, just fall into place perfectly? I mean, come on. I mean, how illogical is that thought process? There is a, a gentleman who won a Nobel Prize. And when we think about the universe and how orderly it is, and how reliable that the laws of nature are. Richard Freeman said, he's a Nobel uh, uh, Peace uh, Prize winner, he said, 
Why nature is mathematical is truly a mystery. The fact that there are rules at all is a miracle. He goes on to say the existence of a great engineer who planned the universe is the only logical explanation for the precise and consistent laws that govern the universe. That we're able to be able to sustain life on this planet because of the lawgiver, because of the, there, there's a greater power in, in, at work in the universe, and his name is God. And so compare those statements with this next passage of Scripture. You look at that, uh, what that uh, Nobel Prize winner had to say. And then you compare first, uh, or Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And it says, for all things were what? Were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, whether rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So I want us to consider now the foundation of scientific discovery. As scientists do their research, they are operating on essentially two assumptions, both of which tie back to the existence of a creator who planned and governs the universe. The, gover the, the universe did not come about by happenstance. It wasn't dumb luck. There was planning that was involved because we know that God had a plan and he instituted it before the foundations of the world. And we know that his plan governs the universe. So the first thing that we need to look at is that the above mentioned laws do not change and they will not change. They are, they are the same today, tomorrow, and next year, and next century, and the millennium after that until Christ comes back. The second idea is that laws and principles that govern the universe are both logical and can be discovered and understood by the human mind. Because God has created us with the ability to think. He has created us with the ability to reason. And so when you think of this, there was a gentleman named Henry Morris, and he said, the first cause of infinite complexity must be omniscience. Omniscient just simply means all-knowing. Think about the existence of DNA when we talk about the complexities of the human body. In every cell of our body, there is an incredibly precise and detailed instruction code, much like you get from a, a computer programs. We know that computer pro programs are made with ones and zeros. But then you look at uh, something similar, and you look at it in a similar way, you look at the DNA code that's in each of us. In each and every cell, it's made up of four chemicals, and scientists attribute them to, the, uh, to A, T, G, and C. Well, why is that important? Because just as engineers design computer programs, the DNA instructs our cells with a three billion letter code. A three billion letter code that tells the cells exactly what they're supposed to do. And those are more than just chemicals, they are chemicals that instruct. Chemicals that instruct the body as to how they are to function. You see, one cannot find a precise information like this without somebody intentionally programming the DNA. It doesn't come about by just dumb luck because a ball of matter exploded supposedly, you know, over four billion years ago, and then over time we just evolved to what we see today. Brethren, that is the most illogical argument. It takes more faith to believe something so illogical than it does to believe in a God that created us. And you look at this, and you look at the biblical, uh, the, the, the scientific foreknowledge that the Bible contains. You look at how it matches up with true science. True science is stuff that, it can, be, that can be observed. 
And, it's, and, and so it's observable in a lab. And so you look at all this. If we think about the precision of the universe. We know that in Solomon, in his writings, in Proverbs chapter 8, Solomon noted that God created the universe with his wisdom. And that is the universe and earth were planned rather than just thrown together in haste. There was a plan that was uh, put together. God, on the six days of creation, he, put to, he created everything in a specific order. And so when you think about this, rather than just creating a rock that floated around the, 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 the solar system, it says, no, that Isaiah tells us that God had created the earth to be inhabited, not just to have a rock out there circling you know, around in the solar system. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18 tells us, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create a waste place, but, in, uh, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is none before me. Brethren, the countless exacting conditions that are necessary for life to even exist and be sustained on this planet shout the existence of an intelligent designer. When you think about the rotation of the earth, you think of the rotation of the earth on its axis at, the, at, its, at its center point at the equator, it rotates at about 1,000 miles per hour. Well, if it were 100 miles per hour instead of 1,000 miles per hour, days and nights would be 10 times as long. The, the nights would be so long and so cold uh, that you wouldn't be able to sustain the, uh, the vegetation. The days would be so hot and so long that much of vegetation would burn up. The sun, when you consider the sun at the distance of the sun from the actual earth, it's at the appropriate distance so that if it was any uh, closer, we burn up and die. If it was any further away, we freeze and we die, and we wouldn't be able to sustain life. It's at the perfect, uh, it's at the perfect location. You think about the moon. The moon is at the exact perfect distance from the earth. The moon controls the tide. If the moon was any closer to earth, it would literally twice a day submerge all the continents with water. And if it was just a little bit further away, we still, once again, would not be able to sustain life. If the crust of the earth were just 10 feet thicker, science tells us, there would be no oxygen and all life would die. Science also tells us that if the ocean were just a few feet deeper, once again, wouldn't be able to sustain life on this planet. The atmosphere is just at the perfect thickness in order to keep meteors from darting out of orbit and coming crashing into the earth and setting the earth ablaze. And so what do we know? That many of the meteors, they burn up in the atmosphere before they get here. Did all of these things come about by dumb luck? Or is there a God who created these things? And there are laws that God had put in place to govern so we could sustain life on this planet. Brethren, this is all proof that life was created, life is, is governed by mathematical laws, and it is not by accidents. You look at this information here today, we think about the design and the care of the universe and this planet. We think about the universe, our solar system, we think about the galaxy, we think about this planet, and all of it demands an omniscient, omnipotent creator, somebody who's all-knowing and all-powerful. Remember, you can get nothing from nothing. So something had to be uh, pre-existing in order for something to be here now. And it's a God who created us in the beginning. God created. So as we think about this information here this morning, I also want us to think about the precision that we see everywhere, even on the smallest level. Did you know that scientists have found out that within the cells and human body that there are a thousand of what are called biochemical machines? 
and all of their parts have to be in place simultaneously in order for the cell to function. And so these things which are thought to be simple mechanisms, such as being able to sense light and then turn that light into electrical impulses, are in fact very highly complex organisms. Yet, the world wants us to believe that this is all by dumb luck. Evolutionists and atheists want us to believe that all of this happened by accidents and that we are here uh, with no planning, no structure, just dumb luck. I want us to consider something else before I close the lesson down. Without God, everybody is wrong. Well, what do I mean by that? I'm not just talking about Christians, but everybody is wrong if there is no God. You see, the Christian standard of morality, which God has called, has called us to, has made a world of difference, not only in the lives of those who are Christians, but those who interact with Christians, those who benefit from having Christians in their lives. Why? Because of the friendships, the marriages, and the careers are benefited by what? By love and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness and grace. We know how all of us benefit from being around other Christians. We know the encouragement we receive. But I also want us to consider that if there is no God, then even our founding fathers of this country got it wrong. Why do I say that? Because the founding documents of this country are either untrue or they're true. Because if there is no God, they said, but those documents insist that we have a creator and that all men are created equal. Well, either the founding fathers got it wrong and our laws that are, are based off of many of those founding principles need to be completely changed. I want us to think about some of the great wars. I want us to think about things like selflessness. I want us to think about valor. I want us to think about sacrifice and goodness. Think about various wars like the Revolutionary War. Think about the Civil War. I want you to think about the Second World War that fought against oppression. When you think about these things, brethren, for without God-given virtues, without the God-given virtues of selflessness, sacrifice, valor, and goodness, it all doesn't matter. If you think about without God, all movements that are based on rights don't matter. Think about the Civil Rights Movement. Think about human rights. Both of those movements would be meaningless and a waste of time if there is no God. Because in a universe without God, rights do not exist. Where does the idea of right and wrong come from in the first place? Where does the idea of rights or oppression or injustice come from in the first place? For without God-given virtues, there is no such thing as fairness. There is no such thing as kindness. And so all of the causes, all of the movements against oppression would be similarly illogical, including wife abuse, Sex trafficking, child abuse, without a God, there is no wrong. Because who gets to determine what's wrong? Who gets to determine what's right? You see, the world would be in utter chaos. If you don't believe me, go back and read the book of Judges. Read in the very end of Judges how each man was doing what he seen what was right in his own eyes and in his own ways, and it was utter chaos. There was, sin, there was sin of such a magnitude that the world hasn't seen. So much so that God had punished them over and over for those things. Brothers and sisters, there would be nothing wrong about oppressing others in a universe without God. Why do I say that? Because think about it. If human beings are just evolved animals, then the natural violence that's seen in the world is either wrong, it's neither wrong, nor is it right. It's just natural. Amen? So, for example, if God does not exist, then the most of the laws in the country are based on an, in, on an incorrect foundation. 
the foundation, the founding principles of those laws is incorrect, and that really people have no special value. And if people have no special value, well, then if somebody dies, or you see all this, all the crime that's uh, prevalent in major cities right now around the country, it doesn't really matter because we have no special value. You only have value if you think and you consider the fact that you are made and created in God's image. And if you're not created in God's image and we're just an evolved animal, then the death of a human being is no more different than a gazelle that takes, or a cheetah that takes out a gazelle. It's just natural. It's neither right or wrong. It just is. And so you think about these things. Without God, most of what has been written about attributes such as love and sacrifice and patience, it's all pointless. They're just empty words. Much of what has been written about marriage and the family, motherhood and fatherhood, it's just empty words. If God does not exist, both conservatives and liberals, we all got it wrong. Because people are always uh, fighting against the death penalty. They say, well, what if somebody is put to death wrongly? What if they're wrongly accused and then they go to their death? Well, as I said, it's no different than the cheetah taking out the gazelle. It's just natural. It's not right or wrong, because where does the idea of right and wrong come from in the first place? Where does the idea of morality come from in the first place? It comes from Jehovah God. You see, brethren, all environmental and all, all the environmental movements are without a real meaningful foundation if there is no God. It would only make sense to take care of the earth, take care of this planet, if it belonged to somebody else. In Psalm 24 and 1, the earth, it tells us, the earth is the Lord's. And all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Without God, the argument that we need to leave a better world for our children and for our grandchildren only makes sense if they have value other than being related to us. Most of what has been written about such events as 9-11 and other tragedies would be equally incorrect without God. Brethren, if we are evolved animals, such events as 9-11 would be no more tragic than a herd of deer that die in a very cold snap in the middle of winter. I mean, seriously, why is there so much outrage over 9-11? But I don't hear any outrage about the, the herd of deer that died because of the cold conditions where they weren't able to sustain life. It would be no different than if a flood came and stirred up the, the waters that, and all the dirt gets uh, stirred up and then a school of fish die. Their, their lives have the same meaning than our lives have. We're just a bunch of dumb animals. And if we're just a bunch of dumb animals, then any of the emotions that go into the 9-11 attack and other things like that are illogical. They're just natural. It's just, it's just the, the, what do they call that? The, 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 the pecking order, if you will, right? The strong feasting on the weak. You see that in the animal kingdom. And so, brothers and sisters, without God, all these tragedies of the past, well, they're not tragedies. It's just natural. And so you look at this. Why do both conservatives and liberals, why do both, uh, people of every race and political party use the same language and the same concept, concepts? Why do they all talk about rights? Why do they all speak about things that they ought to be doing? Why do all people fight against what they perceive to be injustices? Why do so many people fight against things that they perceive to be not fair? Because deep down they realize that as mankind we are created in God's image. And that all of mankind has God's moral nature that is inherently given to each and every one of us. 
And if we don't have that, well, then there is no such thing as injustices. There is no such thing as oppression, fairness, or not. Because we're a bunch of animals, and then everything is simply natural. And so, brethren, many people will eventually find themselves asking the question, is there a God? And did you know there's no greater question that you could ask yourself is, is there a God? Our children are going to ask that question. I asked that question. My wife's asked that question. My son's asked that question. Is there a God? Can we know? And if we ask that question, brethren, don't just be like the many who ask the question. Be like the very few who are willing to put the time and effort in to investigate it. Is there a God? And if there is, what does that mean for my very existence? What does that mean for my life? If there's angels, then there's demons. If there's heaven, then there's a hell. Right? If there's God, there's Satan. There either is or there isn't. How many of you have taken the time to then really study these things out? Look at all the evidence. I've just given you a fraction of the evidence here this morning. There is so much evidence that is out there that you can look at the historical record that proves the Bible to be true time and time again. For thousands of years, nay naysayers have been trying to disprove the Bible. And yet, every time that atheists really put in the effort, many of them end up converting to Christianity. Why? Because they can't deny it. After, after so many times of getting, looking at the evidence and examining things closely, they get to a point where they say, I, I, can't, I no longer can deny what I know to be true based on my research. Not based on what Diane told me, not based on what I told you, but based on what I have found for myself. Think about the woman at the well. She went, and she went back to the towns and say, I think I found the Christ. I think I found the prophet. And she went back, and she told them, and they all came. And they said, we now believe, not because you told me, but because we came and saw for ourselves. So at the end of the day, is there a God is the most important question that you could ask for your life. For how you are to live, for the worldview, how you are to be a husband, how you are to be a wife, how you are to raise your children, how you are to interact with your co-workers, how you are to just be the type of disciple or person that God has called you to be. So if you're hearing this lesson and you like this lesson and you have questions about this lesson afterwards, talk with me. Let's, let's ask, let's look in to answer those questions. Next week, we're also going to look at a little bit of a di different Easter sermon. And it's not going to be on the resurrection, but it's going to be on, can we know that Christ resurrected from the dead? We're going to look at the evidence that proves the resurrection. Because the evidence is there, if only you will look at and seek it out. Brethren, if you're here today and you are not a child of God and you wish to become a child of God, you wish to be baptized for the remission of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and to have God add you to the body of Christ, you could do that this morning as we come, to, as we come now as Lewis stands to sing the song of invitation.